Hello, Internet, and welcome to the Friendship Snake Podcast. I'm your host, Wade Mariano, and I am joined, as always, by your other two hosts, uh, one... Trace Finnecaro. And... Tomek Zamot. That is a one Gunner Kennedy. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? I'm good. Wade, you sound tired. I am I am tired for Wade. I'm I'm a bit tired. A little a little tired, a little uh, lack of sleep today, but sleep is for people who want to live longer. Yeah. Don't be that guy. I don't want to do that. Who wants to live longer? We, um we, we we live we we live in the precursor to the cursed earth. Do you really want to make it to the finish line on that, buddy? That I don't know. That I I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying I. I. I, I lay at least like thirty, forty percent odds. You end up like Lord Humongous. Who's that? He's the naked dude with the jockstrap and the ski mask, and is like, just walk away, leave the gas. That's a, there has been too much bloodshed. That's the Mad Max, the Mad Max universe. Oh yeah, so that's okay. an old he Mad has, Max. He has his gay boy berserkers. He does. He has an army of like. Leather boys going out to, uh, to 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 raid the wasteland. Oh, okay. Like war boys. That's the, and that's who Wade becomes. Yeah, the, well, the, war, the war boys were the way less. The yeah, way, the way less, less gay. Or, you know, <laughs> homoerotic like, oh, versions. Yeah, not not gay in the dis- dismissive <laughs> sense. I mean, like gay in the the blatantly embracing club stereotype culture at the time. <laughs> Speaking of club stereotype culture, one. Uh, a big uh stop yawning. I'm sorry. A, a popular wake the fuck up style of music in pretty much all clubs, specifically in Europe, I'd say, but it's it's gaining uh, ground here in America is EDM. Oh no, elect electronic body music, <laughs> which is derivative essentially uh one type of electronic music, which if you guys did not know, the three of us worked on an electronic music project called the Gunner Kennedy project. Um and uh, yeah, Trace was You're in a forest. like composed You're most of the music. He he's essentially Would used the alone? software to create the music. Gunner and I were kind of uh, did vocals and things like that, and input on beat selection, things like that. Trace, why don't you go ahead and take over and start talking about electronic music production? Well, today's Father's Day. We were going to have a fourth guest, and uh, we should have realized that people back out last minute on Father's Day, so we chose a different topic electronic music is something i think all three of us know about um as well as a few of our friends that have been helping us like wade said i do really the production side of it um the notes uh the beats and stuff like that although it's not without input from others the reason i thought it was a good topic is because first of all with the pc the power of a pc anybody can be an electronic musician. Now, that's not to say that they are on the same level a musician as somebody who's professional uh, uh, pianist, um, guitars, drums, um, or any musical instrument for that matter. It's what it does is it kind of gets the amateur musicians and it empowers them to become uh, you know world-renowned electronic composers. And the way this project started is. It was right around the kind of the the boom of uh, dubstep, and uh, <laughs> my brother and, and a good friend of his sent an email out, and they're like, "Hey, we can do this. 
like listen to the stuff that you know at the time it was Skrillex listen to the the stuff that Skrillex is making we can do this and the email went out and it was to uh, all the old guys we have a mailing list all of us uh, uh, Canistota natives and a few that we've adopted in um, are on the list and it's like hey let's get together and let's see if we can do something like this but what what happened as a result of that was much different than I think any of us had anticipated. Um, so, Wade, you're good at painting pictures. <laughs> Explain how lame this was when we first started. Well, it was really fucking... <clears throat> um, it was essentially the first meeting was like 10 dudes just kind of hanging out and essentially drawing the cart before the horse, like, oh, what can we do to remote this? And what can everybody's role be? And, like, the fact was is that in a music sense, you had, like, you had very little uh, talent and drive to actually do and create it um, and have, like, a vision of what to kind of do with it. And after about... I don't know, a month or so at the most, probably within within a couple of weeks, I would say everybody was pretty much dropped off. Like everyone was had pretty much was pretty much done. You know what I mean? Because they kind of realized, like, yeah, you actually have to like create and show up every day that you plan to do it. And it's kind of an interesting thing from that aspect because very few people. Uh, a majority of, of people like going wrong like with the internet and things like that. Like there are a lot more YouTube creators and artists, if you will, that do like creative stuff. Uh, but not a lot of people have exposure to like having to show up and perform and have something creative and something ready to go right then and there. And I think a lot of people that was, that was overwhelming for a lot of people They're going on. There were other factors or whatever into it, but essentially you got a group of a bunch of dudes who were like, yeah, this is like going to be like a good time. And then very, very quickly they realized You've got about like fifteen executive chefs in the same kitchen, and there's just no time and there's no rhyme. There was no like rhyme or reason to it. It was pretty much the like the picture perfect definition of a clusterfuck. Is definitely what I would what I would say it was. And what was interesting is we kind of started with the wrong premise, right? The premise was, hey, look at this guy. He is making a lot of money off of record sales, and all he needed was a computer. We can be that guy. It was almost the wrong premise. And I, what we, what we really, what we learned early, and this is why I think this is a nice topic because it kind of, it kind of like cracks the shell on the creative. And we, do, we talk about the creative a little bit here, but not a lot. And in the three of us have spent a lot of time really stressing ourselves out over the creative. So what we did is we had to rewind and. Um, one of the things that we did is we all had to stop and say, what do we plan to get out of the project? And it started off and it's like, oh, well, I want to, I want to make an album, right? That was one really, it seemed attainable goal. I want to make an album. Um, some people did want to make money off of it, which we soon realized was nearly impossible. It's a very difficult uh, market to exist in if you're just looking for money. And, uh, I think it was uh, I think it was Deke, which we'll have him on the show. Um, he's he's very good with the creative. I think it was Deke that comes in and says um, he says I want to be part of a creative process with my friends, and that was awesome, right? Because once we decided that 
the really the ultimate goal was let's be part of a creative process with our friends and let's make the ultimate goal to release an album we we're kind of able to focus our energy not to say that we had a whole lot of energy we had a lot of ambition and we had very very little skill and that's what i think made the project so interesting when we started off we knew we didn't know what we were doing and that was good because it's better to know your limitations when you're getting into a creative and we started off and we made a track and uh, if you remember the title of it it was called kindergarten because we figured if we were in grade school for music production we were in the first class and uh, kindergarten um, we worked on we all kind of liked it. It sounded a little bit video game-ish. Um, and I don't think that we pursued that track any further. Then we came to our second track. Um, our second track was called First Grade. And with First Grade, we started to do more research on the different types of instruments that we can do with electronic. We brought in uh, a guitar, um, a, a synthetic, uh, you know, the synthesizer, but a fake guitar. Um, we brought in some drum samples. So we actually had real sounding uh, rock drums, although they didn't sound that real because a computer's making them. So you kind of lose the uh, the analog, the organic, uh, the organic sound if somebody was actually playing the instruments. And uh, from there, um, we kind of got lucky uh, because um, we ended up entering a uh, rap production competition where the vocals were already pre-recorded but they needed producers to create the background music. Um, to tech, they, they call that produced by, or it, we did the production side of the track. And uh, we ended up using first grade for, the, for that track. Motherfucking lean, y'all. <laughs> yeah, it was like a you terrible... Put codeine, you put that codeine in the Sprite, and you mix it all up. <laughs> it, was a, it was like an awful, awful rap song that we made significantly better through production. So Gunner's, Gunner's saying some of the lyrics to it. Um, it's a track by Jaron Benton. He's a rapper. And the name of the track is Lean. <laughs> and he, he raps pretty quickly in it. So it was good for a faster-paced um, rap song um, from that perspective. But the lyrics are not exactly safe for children. <clears throat> the lyrics are talking... Not that I mean, not that rap songs really are. But this one was, this one was talking about you know, like on the narcotic side of it. They were talking about getting uh, uh, codeine cough syrup. You put that codeine in the Sprite and you mix it all <laughs> up. <laughs> and mixing it with Sprite, um, which apparently uh, gives you a pretty good um, a higher buzz. It, it didn't mention any alcohol. No. Right? it's uh, Well, lean is, lean is what it's called, is what the street name is for it. Yeah, it's Sprite. It's like soda and, and codeine syrup. Which is like, I guess my problem with the rapping on the track, like the guy's flow was tight enough, that, so that's cool, like to judge or to critique a rap track, but the content was just shit. I mean, there was nothing, there was no wordplay, there was like nothing. Wait, it's all about it's all about how them brothers get fucked up. Come on, well, you, you, <laughs> it was you, so, you, we will it's, link it's, it. We we will definitely link it. I, I think in the anchor.fm. <laughs> Um, you, you, you know we, what? The, it's the advent of 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 uh, electronic. I'll just inject it inside here. I'll just 
I'll just put a little stop in the track and we'll play a little sample from it. Oh man. You put the coating in the strike and then you mix it all up. Then you sip it slow, that's how them killers get fucked up. We call that me. Me. We call that me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bada boom, bada bean, white cup of lean. Blunt full of green and a cut is a lean and a cut is supreme. Fuck with a team, got a tucked in a jean. I'ma show you what I mean when I cut a nigga clean. Scalpel, please. Throw them all, fuck them off the balcony. She didn't wanna when she give a nigga head, cause she said that she's trying to watch a cow. So that was a small st- snippet from our uh, our our lean track. Um, so there's good and bad from the creative side because we actually produced a pretty fucking good track. Yeah, like I I think I'm I'm obviously going to be biased. Um, did we come in second in that competition? We we did not come in second in that competition. Oh. We did not we, come but in. The, this was one of those community competitions. So you we 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 end up submitting our track a day before deadline, and we didn't we weren't live long enough to get the upvotes. So um, because it was one of those live type competitions where you need people to vote you to the top, um, the, the the actual uh, John <laughs> Batten's producers t- didn't actually review our track. But that's just the downside of being late to the game. Um, that's fine though. Um, what's interesting though is since then it's had like I, I think about six thousand plays. Yeah, I think like I do remember SoundCloud. We got a lot of positive feedback on it, we did. Um, which kind of like reaffirms that I felt that we probably made one of the better remix tracks. I think it's better than what they ended up going with, but obviously I'm biased. So and it's, some of the comments say that as well. Yeah. Now the downside to that from a creative perspective is is we kind of lucked out. Because we had a track, it was the second, really the second track we'd ever made. We turned it into what I would consider a fairly good sounding, fairly successful um, uh, rap track, and then we kind of, <laughs> then we kind of, we kind of fell into a slump because we didn't have Jaron Benton with us for each next track that we produced. We didn't have a rap artist with us for each next track. So we had to kind of change our sound in order to continue making content. Not that we had a sound to begin with, but we had to, we, we kind of had to do something that was our own, something that wasn't a cover, something that wasn't um, us producing somebody else's uh, song. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think ultimately that was kind of... Um why it progressed as far as it did as far as the music project specifically was like because i think if we just had first grade and there was no um competition or goal real goal with a deadline i think it would probably just would have fizzled out i mean you would all you had been but the 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 backstory to this is the program you've been using you had already been producing music for like several several years before that Right. Um, so I don't think that would have changed. I would think that you would have still continued to do that. But I think like with having like a kind of a goal, a common goal with a deadline, it kind of got us moved in gear. We we came with that track, and it was a good track in my opinion. Not a perfect track by any means, but a pretty good one, I thought. And specifically um, because it's the type of music that you had been doing before was not like rap or anything rap-oriented. So right. to be able to do something in that genre that actually kind of fit – was an interest it was was pretty interesting and that's kind of what I think stoked the fires to eventually kind of continue on for a bit for a bit but like what I find like really interesting and it's not necessarily even about electronic music I guess but what I find really interesting that even with electronic music and things like that we still ran into walls that like a band that plays like guitars like your more traditional band 
like would run into with creative things and like and, and things like that. Um, but I think for the for the most part, the reason that we hit a slump is because okay, they delivered us this rap these these rap tracks with 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 a rapper, right? And the guy can rap, okay? He's not a good rapper, like he's I'm not trying to shit on the guy, but I, I mean, I think it's, we had five to choose from. Yeah, like, but they were all. Most of the rappers were like at least somewhat different. They weren't complete amateur. They didn't mm-hmm. sound like they. They at least sounded like they knew what they were doing. Which for those who have not had, had not tried rap, I I urge you take your phone out, make some sort of a rhyme, uh, like several rhymes that you know what I mean that you can kind of think up on the fly, and then like do it on the phone to like a syncopated beat, and then sound. <laughs> Realize after you play it back what a kind of a jackass you sound like. Yeah, it's a difficult thing. Like it's a, certainly is a talent. And you sound robotic, kind of, if you just do it without knowing what you're doing. And like you sound like corny and weird. Like it's really kind of an interesting thing in that regard. But that's off topic, and I don't want to get off topic. Um, we had, but we had to kind of figure out what our sound was. You know what I mean? And then we had to figure out like, because. Like we did the Gunner before we did the Gunner Kennedy project. It, I don't even think it was called the Gunner Kennedy project until Gunner like sang. Yeah, and that's that was the next point I wanted to get into is yeah. when we started to find our sound. Now, um, full disclaimer: um, we've since put the entire project on hold. Um, we did that to make this podcast because we were in a creative slump. Um, we were creating content, but it was very slow. It was a very slow process, and we were all getting burnt out by it. Um, the podcast is nice because we can sit down for a few hours once a week. We know when we start, we know when we finish, and we know all the content that we're going to be creating. I mean, we're kind of thinking off the top of our heads, so some of it's on the fly. It's it, it does take some work, but it to me, it's nothing like us sitting around with pencil and paper and trying to come up with lyrics for a two or three minute song. That would drain us and then we'd when then we'd we'd think they sounded good and we would record them and then we wouldn't like them and we have to start the process all over again cherry picking from each other's lyrics re-recording um and a lot of the time um there would be frustrations where uh wade and i would agree on the sound of gunner's voice but gunner either had trouble um, uh, reproducing the sound or didn't agree with that was the way he was supposed to sound. So it was a very, very brutal creative process. Um, um, and, and when I say brutal, I don't, I know there's actual brutal things in the world, but it, it was painstaking. It was something that took a long time and drained us. So what, what we were faced to do is, as the, you know, it mean, actually, as I'm composing um, the tracks. Um, and I'm still early. I was still early at the production phase. Like Wade had said that I had done music production in the past, but it was I was still very amateur. I hadn't talked to a lot of other musicians, so I didn't really know what I was doing right and what I was doing wrong. So the best thing that I had was feedback from my peers. And uh, what I did is I brought all the tracks that we had thrown together, um, and we would usually sit around and pick the lowest hanging fruit. And I I was playing them on the ride down to. Um, down to a car show get together that we were doing once a year back then. And one of the tracks came on. And when that track came on the radio, the two people riding with me, um, uh, which both I respect, um, especially musically, um, one of them is Jeremy Bonaventura. Um, we'll, we'll get him on the show at some point. And the other one is, we call him Deke, but uh, Michael DeCoco. The two of them paused and they said, what is this? And I said, well, this is just one of the tracks that I made. And they said, well, this one 
is really cool. And I'm like, oh, well, I was thinking about putting some rap lyrics over it. And, uh, and Jeremy says, well, w- what are they? You can say them. So while I was driving, I start saying these rap lyrics. And I could tell by the look on their face that they didn't like the lyrics. <laughs> but they really liked the track. So that track, I ended up bringing that information back. And, and we all kind of agreed. Our creative group kind of agreed. And, and by the way, back at that point, our creative group was larger than the three of us. Well, yeah, because like you still had, we still had Guinea. You still had was Ack involved at that point as well. Yes. Like uh, yeah, Deke Chris was, Fien was still Deke involved was in it. Fiener was in it. So we were like we were like eight large at that point, which also makes it more difficult to settle on a creative, right? Because you have more um, more cooks spoil the broth or whatever the phrase is. And what happened was um, playing this track. Um, um, we came up with some lyrics. I believe I wrote those lyrics, but I could be wrong. And we were going to record, but we didn't know who was going to sing. So we were all going to take turns in front of the mic. At that time, uh, Gunner was actually the guy that was going to be researching the tech side. So he was like, well, you know what? Maybe there's more instruments. Maybe there's more plugins. Uh, maybe when we do this electronic thing, we can get cooler sounds inside the track. And that, Gunner's, Gunner was tasked with, with researching those. And while we were all taking... Um, a swing at the microphone gunner's reading our lyrics and he starts singing the tune and he just he kind of just sings with the melody of the song gunner actually i want you to talk about that moment so you're kind of just looking at the lyrics and from that point on i want you to describe kind of the moment because i think it's kind of a pretty pivotal moment this is this is uh, spoilers this is so disappointing um (laughs) I don't really remember that so much because it's just the, the, that was just me being me, you know. It's not. <laughs> I. Well, maybe playing it'll be a little better. Um, in the song, the melody goes dun dun da dun 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 da dun. Oh yeah. yeah. And and what I'll do is I'll 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 play a section. Um, I'll play a section right here of uh, of Gunner singing over this this track. The eventual name of it was. That hill. Seems it's always here to stay. Only thing that's dark, it seems. And when you're looking back at me. Gunner likes to scat too, sometimes. That was that was the tape. That was the tape speeding back up. Oh, that was the tape speeding. Okay, sorry, I didn't realize that was the tape. That was the tape stop effect. Um, so from there we uh, we thought we knew what the fuck we were doing, right? Because we found we really found a way to produce 
Uh, we found vocals that we all agreed on were really nice. And we thought we had captured a sound. But trying to make a second track was extremely fucking difficult. And we went through a lot of different, uh, a lot of different um, tracks, a lot of trial and error. A couple of friendship-threatening fights, you know. <laughs> like, when we talk about brutality and stuff, like, that, I think, is probably the most brutal. Because these are people that you're closest to in your life that are obviously, like, well, for some are closer to the family and you're forcing yourselves into these situations that are very intense and it's pressure filled and everyone's getting frustrated. And that's like the brutal thing because it's like, you get to a point where you're like, I've never ever wanted Wade, to fucking stop throwing the spaghetti. Stop throwing the spaghetti on the wall, Wade. Yeah. <laughs> stop throwing the spaghetti on the wall. Yeah. So like, like one example is, um, there was a track that I composed and I wrote the lyrics for and it was called That Much Better. And um, I'm not going to play a sample of this track because it fucking sucks. But, uh, but I, wrote the, I wrote the lyrics and, and I played the track and I'm like, hey guys, I think this could be our next track. And Ackerman was still with us at the time and he was brutally honest Ackerman. He always is. And he says, um, Trace, I, I like the song and I like the lyrics, but I don't want to hear you singing it. So what he did is he said, well, I know a few females that do vocals, and I think that one of them might work out for this track. And I think we tried three different females reaching out to them, and we never got any of them to show up to record with us. So, you know, you could say that, you know, my feelings are hurt because my voice isn't good enough, whatever. That's something that I think anybody with a creative has to accept very early on. Well, I think it's like, that's just an artist thing, right? Like you have to, I don't know if you have to, you have to realize that you just don't, either, you don't have, you get, have limitations, go I get, guess. Go get good. Go get good. Why are, you, why are you crying? Go get good. Wait, go get good. Yeah. But it's not easy to, it's, I mean, it's a massive yeah. blow to no, the ego. It's, it's, it's easy. Go get good. What? There's obviously no effort. It's just, it. I tell you, I tell you to go get good, and you, you can go get good. So then, from there, um, we still struggled. We didn't know if we wanted. Um, we our, our friend, our friend uh, Chris at the time was big into uh, like insane clown posse, and he uh, kind of had like this raspy, almost talk rap thing that he wanted to do. And we tried several times to get a recording with him something that we liked but we just we just couldn't like it as much as we tried it wasn't something that we thought even came close to the quality of that hill well i think like I st uh, I st uh, yeah i will still stake that I, I that is a hill i will try to die on uh, i still say that ain't nobody was was was, was fine but well, you know what? Then they get to hear the raspy voice and ain't the no, ain't nobody. Come on. Yeah, I get to play it. <laughs> come on, Tom. T t you know, t t here's 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 the ain't nobody he's talking about. I'll let you guys be the judge. There ain't nobody pulling rabbits from hats. There ain't nobody gonna bring you back. There ain't nobody gonna save your soul. There ain't nobody getting out of this hole. There ain't nobody in this whole damn town. There ain't nobody gonna turn around. Some of that magnificent Tom Waits sound of motherfucker. <laughs> so, so yeah, we tried a lot of different things, and there ended up being a track, 
and it was really it was more upbeat and at the time it was called eclipse and uh, i don't even think we have the original anymore um or at least not the easy to for playback and it went and it kind of had like some like industrialish like spaceish sounds in the background and what we decided was we decided that it may be a good track for a like a like an astronaut themed uh, uh, lyrics, and I wanted to call it Lost in Space, and you guys reminded me that there was a show that was called Lost in Space, and I'm like, well, that show's so fucking old, nobody nobody modern is going to. Except Netflix just. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't yes. that a, a bit of a touch of irony? Yep. Although this was years before Netflix re-released, it's definitely some uh, some some irony or maybe a coincidence. In there. fairness to shitty fucking Hollywood remakes and reboots and things like that. There was a terrible loss. Les Exorcistes. What, what year was that around, Gunner? Like the early 2000s? That yeah. loss in space? What well, a piece it was, of it was, garbage. It was, uh, what's his face there? I can't remember. At the Played Joey. Matt, Matt LeBlanc. Matt Lawrence? Matt LeBlanc or something? Oh. Right? Matt LeBlanc. Oh yeah, yeah, yes. You know what? Matt LeBlanc back, wasn't it. Yes, back when oh, friends uh, back back when, back when he was young. And still talentless. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Agreed. No, I shouldn't oh, say that I'm you not an are, actor. You guys are but, so hostile. So, so what we did is with this Lost in Space track. It's a dreamboat. Um, one thing that uh, it, um, one of our friends, um, a Guinea, who actually he actually does have some musical skill, right? Guinea can play the guitar, um, although he's he's left-handed, so he plays the left-handed guitar. He plays um, the I, fucked up. Don't, you, don't don't couch terms. He plays the fucked up. Does he play it upside down? Guitar. No, he plays the fucked up reject guitar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the reason it's important, right, is because the strings are upside down. So what a lot of people do is they'll restring it for the left so that it's, you know, bottom to top or top to bottom or whatever. But anyways, Guinea plays the left-handed guitar and the piano, and he's, he's, he's pretty good at both of them. And what he said was is when he heard... Uh, Wade had this. The, Wade did the chorus for this track, and when he heard that, he goes, "Don't whatever you guys do with this track, even if you guys decide you don't want to produce it, don't throw out those vocals." And uh, and that's the, the the perseverance on that track. I think is really what showed that with enough effort, we could put something out that was unique and had really good quality. I think it was probably. The first time that we pretty much threw out the entire song or restructured it around that, like, I think that was kind of a lesson in, um, okay, we, we have something that we think that we can build it on. We might have to wipe everything out and start over again and, and restructure everything. But we kind of recognize, I think it would help to us recognize, like, okay, this, this is something, if it sounds good... You keep it. You keep it, even at, even at the cost of having to wipe everything out if it doesn't fit, maybe saving it for later or whatever. And that's the part to me that I really think that that's the, that describes the creative process, right? You know what to keep, you know what to throw out, but even if you throw it all out, and that's what was insane. So this original track, Eclipse, we recorded over the top of it. Um, the, the, the chorus was recorded over the top of what would have seemed to be the chorus of the music. Um, the the, the, you know, and after we played it back, I said, 
it, we all liked it, but we played it for, for one of our uh, friend's sons, and he says, ah, it's kind of confusing. I, I, it's it's kind of weird. So I decided to take the track back and to build uh, to just start getting creative with it. The first version, the first uh, alteration of it, I called Twilight because there's a whole bunch of melody added before, during, and after the singing. But what I ended up doing with the next version of it is I, I scrapped almost 99% of that. And I decided to to come in with more uh, string accompaniment. So it, what they are in, in the electronic music world, they're called a sound font. But it's a recording of an actual instrument at every single note. And the computer will play back the recording. So it sounds like a real instrument. But it's technically, it's it's partially synthetic because the computer's telling that instrument when to play. And... Uh, um, this is this is what the final product sounded like. So this we ended up renaming it to Speck of Dust, I believe. Um, I think the final t track title was Speck of Dust. We didn't want to use the Lost in Space uh, title, um, and we submitted it to a uh, an album competition for a specific piece of software that we were using, and uh, and we ended up making it on the album. So this is probably our it's it's probably the best known track that we've done from the small community of people that do listen. Uh, to our music, it definitely had the most amount of time, um, and I would say it's probably what we're most proud of. It was the moment of affirmation, I guess. Like it was like everyone pretty much unanimously liked it. Like it was kind of like okay, we can we can actually put something out there that most of the people like. You know what I mean, or that most of the people would get into. Um. And because we entered the, it's a competition we actually got into. Like it was like it made it on the album, so there were it wasn't just our peer group that had heard it. You know what I mean? Like it was because personally, I think it's my opinion, in my opinion only. Uh, like I think that hill, um, and I love that track. So even though I have very little to do with it, I wonder if we had submitted that, if would it, it would have made it on the rules disqualified us from entering two tracks right only one could qualify so you could submit two but they will only pick one out of the two right so right and we've never resubmitted that hill to no. really anything since then um and we should yeah um but here is um here is the track um uh speck of dust um it's featuring uh wade mariano who you you hear on the podcast um our uh, our host and Gunnar Kennedy is the um, he does the the majority of the lyrics in this and then myself Trace Finicaro on production and uh, also somebody who helped out significantly with this track and uh, and I have to mention him um, is uh, is Ian Farwell um, Ian Farwell helps with the mastering process he's very good at, um, at throwing in the extra the extra hi hats and and um, keyboard notes and and whatever it's missing uh, for that final stage we we miss you brother. Uh I hope you're doing well in the other place. <laughs> Ian, Ian is still alive. Gunner made it sound like he's dead. He's not dead. <laughs> here is uh, here is speck of dust. Oh, and I forgot to mention um, last minute on this track, we got um, uh, uh, a local um, Native American uh, a performer uh, showed up. We invited her. She showed up, and she actually recorded a, a small amount of rap over, <laughs> over this track. So what I'll do is I'll play the segment of of Speck of Dust, where um, where you can hear. Um, well, I'll play a good amount so you can so you get a good taste of it. So here's uh, here's here's Speck of Dust. Yeah. 
not the type that begs for help when I'm down Lost in familiar spaces Nobody's around I've come here by no mistake Can you hear me calling out your name? So many sleepless days My reality slowly slips away No frost in the morning when the stars are blending Talk to me, tell me if I'm dead, the earth's abandoned Skyscrapers are falling like angels I'm standing in the shadows of distant volcanoes Dripping slow smoke fades like violent notes As if heaven was about to blow Looking for the last living soul With no place to go I watch my last breath as I exhale slow If I had a chance to save this world Would I come back with my ancestors? Let my bones disappear like the smoke and the wind And the romance of death I leave a rose in one kiss One love, one life, one existence A one-way ticket to my only home I watch my last breath sing a lullaby Close my eyes and then I'm gone So he is one of the heartless now, man. So I could talk. I could talk about electronic mu- music. What are you going to say, Wade? You look like you're going to say something. <laughs> I just have to. Bring, <laughs> I don't want to make me laugh. What Gunner so said, he, he sank the dream boat. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny. <laughs> he sank the dream boat, and Ian is kind of. Dying in a sense, single Ian is dying. Congratulations to Ian and Michelle. They're getting married very soon. Props um, up. I, I, I guess, yeah, you will no longer be one of the heartless afterwards. And, yes. and to bring that into context, um, Michelle Stewart was on the King Rat and the Panopticon episode. So if you, that's, that's Ian's engaged to her. So we're all, most of the people we have on here are very close friends. Some of them are our co workers. Um, but uh, that's uh, when he says that his when he says that he's uh, what what was the phrase that you used? He's going to die. <laughs> his sing so legally single Ian, not like in the sense like he's single and available, but legally single Ian is going to die a very abrupt death in August. Ian Farwell dies. Ian Stewart is reborn. Oh. <laughs> um, and, 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 <laughs> uh, to, to kind of to kind of wrap up this topic, um, I could we could we could talk we could actually talk the full two hours on music production, and we'll bring it back. Um, what I, what I'll do is is I'll pick the same topic from more of a tech side um, um, another week where I talk more about the the software choices and the plugins and stuff like that. We get a little bit more technical, um, but to make room for some other topics, I want to to finish by saying um, one of the failed tracks from the Gunner Kennedy Music Project is a song called Friendship Snake. Oh, well, <laughs> actually, yeah. So the the small tune that you hear at the beginning of each podcast as well as the small tune that you hear at the end is there for you. <laughs> is, is, is part of this Friendship Snake uh. song, which the, the funny part about this Friendship Snake song is 
everybody loved it, but nobody wanted to use it as part of the Gunner Kennedy project. We were we were a little bit too serious. Well, no, uh, yeah, we're singing you say about nobody. And- Gun- Gunner Gunner was all for it. You guys are just humorless butts. And when you say everybody loved it. I did not love that well, track yeah, but, at all. Wait, see, wait. But, see, Wade actually was the one that inspired us to use that track. So Wade's, it started off as a track called Beans, and it was not meant to be serious. And um, and the lyrics went something like, um, they're the, the beans in my tummy, they're always It so was yummy, essentially or, about um, <laughs> gastrointentional nirvana. <laughs> but the i mean it was a product of we were burnt the fuck out we were burnt out yeah it was a long fucking session and it and this is i think we were trying to create neon thursday when we actually when this came up we were burnt the fuck out it might have been seashell it might have been seashell in the beginning but like we just it it comes at a point the creative process where you're like okay we have to create another something else and it's like, I don't fucking know if I have anything else right now. Like, so it was kind of just like, <laughs> it was just very basic. You know what I mean? Like pretty basic. And I, I actually think I requested steel drums to be put in there because <laughs> I thought they would sound ridiculous. And, and what happened with this track was we, it was so funny when Wade started singing these Beans lyrics, talking about, like you said, gastro gastrointestinal intestinal nirvana as he puts it um it was so fucking funny when wade started in with these lyrics that we all started thinking of lyrics and i don't know who came up with the with the actual chorus i think i think gunner's the one that came up with the concept of friendship snake and when gunner gunner actually brought in fucking water noodles to one music meeting because he was so into this character right gunner am i right here well, that and I'm just a general agent of chaos. <laughs> so he brought in water noodles. He was so into this character, um, uh, this Friendship Snake character. But what happened with Friendship Snake is we actually wrote some pretty interesting lyrics. And the <laughs> lyrics were about a really good friend that has controversial views on things. So the lyrics kind of evolved around... Um, uh, uh, um, somebody who... <laughs> Racism, Racism, xenophobia, of <laughs> <laughs> uh, just crude, <laughs> crude behavior in general. Um, yeah, not accepting of gays, uh, which some of the people, as you're listening, you may not be accepting of gays. So um, I guess you, you, if you're friends with us, you might be our friendship snake. So um, congratulations, you're our friendship snake. Um, but the- you ride that snake. <laughs> P.S. If you're not accepting of gays, even though maybe you are my friend. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that, so that, that is uh, t- uh, just a just a addendum quote to, or addendum note to that. Uh, if you do fuck yourself, that does not actually constitute a gay act. <laughs> it doesn't. No. Same thing with a clone. Oh wait, wait <laughs> the lights it? are off though. I think the lights yeah. are off. It didn't <laughs> count. As, as long as the lights are off and neither of you sneezes. <laughs> Um, so I'll play a very small no, snippet no, of no, these steel drums that Wade's talking about, oh, and, uh, and what I'll do is when the steel drums <laughs> when the steel drums are done, um, we'll be on our we'll be on our next topic. Um, yeah, just keep in mind, friendship stick was a process that I wanted nothing to do with, but everyone <laughs> just kept going after it because they wanted to do it. Wade, 
This is a metaphor for life in general. Just so. get used to it. <laughs> Enjoy those steel drums. those steel drums <laughs> um i feel confident in speaking for everyone that we would all be very comfortable and encourage you to share uh our music project if you followed any of the links or anything like that or you're into what you listen to uh but you know who would probably not encourage uh the sharing the free sharing of music on the internet the motherfucking eu trying to break the internet with article 13 um so this week the eu uh the european union um they tried to introduce what's called article 13 what article 13 essentially is um it's a direct attack on what you might call remix culture so uh it's like sharing of of intellectual properties in a it's an attempt to ensure that the content creators um, and copyright holders essentially most importantly copyright holders is what they really focus on um, are paid uh, for sharing of their their content um, the problem is is that it's like any type of content that is shared on any kind of website or platform or whatever like Google or Facebook or Instagram and we're talking all forms of media so we're talking about pictures um, gifts anything the who's ever hosting that so let's say google or youtube could definitely specifically be be something that might be relevant to you um it's up to the platform to have a license with whoever owns the copyright for that piece of media um not only that but they are also the the platform is also responsible for uh, maintaining and developing the software that will ensure that if something is uploaded, um, that it's recognized and they can get, you know, they, they can kind of vet out the payments or however, whatever agreement they have with the licensing that they've purchased. Um, you I mean, if this were to go through, you could see that, I mean, the, the death of hyperlinks and I mean, well, and it like, cause you know, brass tacks. So right now, I mean, like, you know, the, the whole system's, the system's fucked up in general anyways. So, like, in the pre-whatever, the pre-Article 13 world, somebody posts a YouTube video, you know, like, you know, YouTube's having issues with this right now where they have the automated monitoring and it will flag videos. But but the, the general gist is, at least in the United States, we have, like, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. And what happens is that if you post something that infringes on someone else's copyright, the copyright holder is supposed to put a claim saying, "Hey, this you know this particular piece of media is 
an unlike you know like a, or is, you know it's an it's an infringing use of my 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 property please take this down you have a response you know you the person that the complaint has been filed against gets notified that hey we've had a dmc complaint filed we're putting this on suspension for the period of time please provide us a re you know if you can please provide us a reason how this is not thing article 13 basically requires them to implement a preemptive scanning system so the onus is you are all the 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 the, the expectation is that you are always guilty so that the the, the isps themselves are actively monitoring the isps and websites themselves are actively monitoring at all times to flag if something is potentially copyright infringing and block it at that level yeah so like right now in the u.s the um, fair use clause of the digital millennium copyright act allows you to do certain things like um, all the fucking Shrek remixes mm -hmm. and all the um, uh, Smash Mouth remixes. And you really, you're just getting other people's, just the memes, right? You're getting other people's work and you're remixing it. Is is there a provision in Article 13 that still allows the fair use? Or no. does it say, no, fuck you, you used a small sample from a song? It's, the, 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 concept, the concept of fair use becomes a retroactive thing. The other thing is, Article 13 only applies to the European Union, right? It does not apply to the United States, oh, although we would expect uh, a lot of the providers to comply. Yes. Yeah, like the web is global. Yeah, right. I mean, because like it's decent, you know, effectively, it's, it's the, you know, and again, part of this is like fallout from certain political machinations and, you know, like you... Uh, you know, and th that that's a whole, there's a whole other side discussion to be had about, like, how fucked up the European Union bureaucracy is compared to others. But the gist is, is that because of the decentralized nature of the Internet, because, you know, like, we just had that whole thing where the freaking the General Privacy Data Retention Act went through. Or I, I'm probably not saying it right, but the user, the user privacy management legislation that um, they passed where basically every single fucking service on the internet had to go back and notify users whether they were European customers or not. Right. That they were changing their They're terms changing of service. They're changing their privacy so policy, right. It's, it's like California with its, like, you know, like California has different fuel emission or uh, emission standards than... Or so they used to, right? It didn't get shut down? No, they the, 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 the Trump administration is trying to force it through, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's also kind of like why they're doing, you know... Maybe later, maybe maybe something that we're talking about a little later here, but that you know, like they're they're trying to break California to stop it from exerting that kind of power. But yeah, California, you know, it's it's very hard to tell the eighth largest economy on the planet to go fuck itself when it when when it gets its druthers. So copyright is to me it it, it is a very copyright's a very interesting mess. So um, one example that I have experience with, um, we just kind of talked about the music production side, and, and something that I'd like to get into on another episode is my involvement in the software side of that. But I, I want to share a copyright issue that I ran into um, dealing with the software. So when I was involved, I was actually helping um, code the software itself. And in doing so, you start to take some responsibility on things. Um, if the software bundles a sample, and the sample is a person talking or the sample is um, a certain chime or something like that. You have to know where it originated from and you need to know what license you have to, uh, to, to offer it to other people. And um, we were running a competition for the software and the competition forced everybody to use one 
uh, synthesizer to make their music. And the synthesizer that we chose was like this, it's like it's supposed to make kick sounds. The, the logo for it was a soccer ball. Well, this soccer ball, very, very nice quality, um, had like flames coming off of it. And we wanted to print a t-shirt for the winner of the competition and give them this, this t-shirt with this flaming soccer ball on it. Before we did, we wanted to make sure that the person that originally chose that soccer ball artwork five, ten years ago when that plugin was made, that, that we had permission to use that soccer ball logo. And we went down this interesting rabbit hole. First of all, I found the comments inside the code stating that it was public domain. Now, what public domain means is anybody can use it under any circumstances. However, I found the file that we had, and the file that we had was actually copyrighted. And this is an interesting problem. It's a problem where when you tell somebody that they can do whatever they want with something, you can technically claim ownership because anything you want means anything you want, right? You can make it your company logo. So what happens is you get, you get a licensing split. You get a copyright split. If you find the original, then you're legal to use it under their terms. But if you have a copy of the original that's been re-released, it's now being re-released under those new terms. We had the one under terms that said um, it was for, for a commercial artwork package. So I started crawling the archives of the internet looking for the original version of that soccer ball. Now, the original version of that soccer ball was almost the exact same thing, but I did find the original, and I put evidence that we were using the original and not the relicensed one. We were able to get ourselves out of a potential copyright infringement. What's interesting to me, though, is how the hell does this article plan on addressing every single source of every piece of artwork ever released? Because this, that task took me like two or three hours. Uh, I, I, well, actually, if you look at the semantics of it, um, the strategy is deal with it, which is just... I'm I'm actually surprised because usually the the United States has been the most draconian one as far as like intellectual property protections goes, and this is this is I got I got to give I got to give them their druthers because this is like up in the we have we you know our our uh, our clept our clept slash corporatocracy that we live in has been pretty like abusive about this shit, but um this is. This is A tier. This is like fuck. This is fucking four dimensional chess kind of shit. I was definitely shocked that this came from like the EU. Because um, uh, at least up until this point, I mean, like most of these, reg- I mean, like you know, and you can get into the whole thing about the EU being an author, you know, like a, 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 her, her ridiculously authoritarian. But you know, we we we've we've been the pioneers in bullshit intellectual property protection for how long? Right, and I mean, essentially, from what I understand, and Gunnar, I don't know if you can validate what I'm saying here. Um, from what I understand, it's the ISP's responsibility. So if they feel that they've failed, they're responsible monetarily speaking yes. for that. Right. And what you're, I mean, what you're—that's the problem. And, it's and, like, and this is going to work. They've, they've applied PCI standard kind of violation methods to 
the amount of posting uh, for the for the effect of the the year the man now dog. And when Gunnar says PCI standards, he's talking about the payment card industry. And uh, Gunnar and I both work in tech, so we know that the there are very strict controls on the payment card industry. Um, for example, if you have uh, you have a, a cash register that sits on um, sits on a computer network, it must be logically or physically isolated from all other computer traffic, or else those computers also become in scope of your of your your cards. And, from an IT perspective, it seems like overkill. But after you know millions of um, credit cards get stolen from Target, you're like, no, this is a very important measure. This measure is here to protect us. It, it does seem like overkill when it comes to copyrighted material, though. And it, it, it's not going to be so hard for like the Vivos of the world, right? Vivo being the company that that that, that provides a lot of the uh, licensed. Um, content to YouTube for music videos. So for music, it's not going to be all that bad if you're you're part of a record label because the record label can kind of give you a um, a curated list of of who's allowed to be played. Yep. The stuff that's really going to be screwed though is is the the stuff like the derivative works right. And how do you, and you also I mean you do have these conflicting problems. YouTube is very lax right now, um, as are the artists about derivative works. So you see these people like um, like Pentatonix is a great example, although they've probably got permission now because they're huge. But Pentatonix is a good example where they create an acapella version of a very popular song. They got like like the top like twelve Daft Punk songs, um, and they sing them back to back, short snippets of each one. Now the amount of production. In the amount of record sales that Pentatonix has got, I'm sure they've gone back and made sure that they're licensed to use that content. They might have even done it before they created it. But how many people with an acoustic guitar are are sitting in front of their camera and and they're playing somebody else's content? Are they going to fall in scope of this? Well, that's and that's the thing. I highly doubt that Pentatonix, when they first like when their inception was, they had licenses for all the things they were going to cover. Well, you know, and maybe this goes back to one of our previous podcasts, like. When I when I when I thought of the bright, sparkling future of uh, artificial, like even like application specific artificial intelligence, I didn't think it would be weaponized against us in this way, because that's effectively what the you know again never mind like the fucking nineteen forty you know the nineteen eighty four Orwellian surveillance mechanism. I mean like they're 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 basically putting in real time monitoring. Just to make sure that you don't fucking illegally post uh, a Black Eyed Peas song or something. Actually, and, and this is happening today with the artificial intelligence detection, right? Yeah. So, like, um, if, if for anybody who's seen the 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 movie Pixels and it's got Adam Sandler in it, right? Oh, I didn't see and it. I believe it was a Sony production. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what what happened was with that movie Pixels, a lot of people were taking scenes from the movie and they were putting them on YouTube and saying, hey, I'm going to do a review or I'm going to speculate on what this movie is going to be like. And Gunnar, do you remember the headlines of what happened with that oh, movie title? What, um, there was a whole, because wasn't there a whole thing where effectively the short that sure. they based yes. this whole fucking movie on, Sony put a copyright claim yeah. against the dude, which they had basically took the fucking idea from. Right. They they took his idea. They may have licensed it, but it was his idea. He made a short. It's a very, very cool short, and I suggest you look it up. Um, look up, uh, I, I think it's called Pixels, actually, and, and it's... 
it's not exactly the same as the movie. The movie, the, the games kind of come and take over. With Pixels, what happened was as the games were entering our world, it turned our buildings into pixels and they would crumble. So it was really cool looking. But with that short, Sony sent the, the content creator a takedown notice and he and he's the one that made the first content. They based the entire movie off of that concept. And he did eventually get his video back online and you could find it on YouTube. But this idea that you're that you're you're guilty before you you're proven innocent on the internet is strange. And this this law seems like it's going to make that situation worse. Another example that I have, and this is a famous example, and for anybody who hasn't uh, hasn't looked this up, I, I I highly suggest this. This is called the Amen Break, and uh, the Amen Break is a it's a short YouTube video um, explaining this, and it talks about how. Who owns what when it comes to uh, copyright law? And and I'll read the synopsis for the Amen Break because it's going to do a better job than I can. Um, the Amen Break is a six-second, four-bar drum solo performed in 1969 by Gregory uh, Sylvester uh, G.C. Coleman in the song Amen Brother performed by the 1960s funk and soul outfit, The Winstons. Now, what's interesting about this clip is this clip was used over and over and over again in different types of music in the 90s. It was sampled and sampled and sampled. Is because the sampler became popular, people didn't think that it was a big deal to just take a drum sample. What's interesting, though, is the amount of companies that have sampled this and actually relicensed it. It was never theirs to begin with. So w what I'm curious about is, is um, will this article affect those types of things? Like how deep down the rabbit hole does it get? And, and who needs to hold that license? Like if you take this small drum sample, which are they going to go back? They're probably not going to go retroactive to 90s music. But uh, who needs to prove that they own it and how fine-grained are they? When we made our tracks, we took samples from NASA's website. But NASA said they were Creative Commons, uh, uh, CC0, which means public domain. You do whatever you want. That means anybody can buy and resell those. So are we going to be responsible for telling YouTube that we own the samples in our own tracks? How do we prove that it's our own original track to begin with? And honestly, what it sounds like to me is it, it's turning into is like, if you've got the money, you've got the say. Like that Amen Break. Well. I mean whoever's relicensed it or whatever like they got they got the money and, right. and that guy with the, the the pixels thing yeah he got his video uploaded but how much personal bullshit did he have to go through as opposed to fucking sony just it just being a blip on their radar just like, a blip yep yeah just a the, radar yeah, just put our lawyer on it yeah, this guy's a, not a fucking lawyer yep. just a lawyer sending takedown notices and this is my thing i think that guy deserves damages from sony i agree i think you need to be able to fight back and if he could prove that you know what no this is something that I created and you fuckers licensed and you fuckers ripped off. I want everything you made off that fucking movie. Maybe they would think twice before lashing so, out. I think YouTube deserves damages for this. There should be some onus on YouTube to vet these copyright violations before they blindly let them go through. If anybody at YouTube actually reviewed the infringement, they would have realized that it didn't that it didn't hold ground. But what happened was the video was taken down because Sony is, is considered reputable. They're clout, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they own the content, or at least they, they own the license to the content. And when they come back and say, hey, this person is in violation, they're, they're trusted. Really, I think that the general public should be trusted. There should almost be a peer review system on these types of things. And um, maybe if YouTube, if, if YouTube 
turned peer review into their method for gaining like YouTube red access, then they could actually find people that are working for YouTube and don't have to spend money but are spending time instead and actually make a better internet and actually make a better uh, video sharing platform like it was when we started using it instead of this corporate controlled bullshit that we're dealing with now. Yeah, because I don't feel like you aren't protecting the little guy. You're protecting giant fucking corporations that frankly, does anything fucking original come from a giant corporation? No. Like, in creativity, like, there's no such thing as original thought. Everything is based on past experiences. Everything. There is no such thing as original music, as original works of art. Nothing. You are inspired by what you experience and you produce. What you've, you take what you've experienced and you put it out there with your own little spin on it. But it's by no means fucking... Uh, completely authentically real or authentically um, uh, original original yeah, yeah thank you that's the word I was looking for like and we've taken this and it's money that's done this we've taken this well I did this and I did that listen I'm not saying oh yeah go rip someone off like I like joke theft is one of the things that I have a problem with because there are there joke theft is a real thing like Carlos Mencia made very a ton of his fucking money being a complete fucking hat comedian and ripping off other comedians that were lesser known. Joe Rogan's a perfect example. He had a pretty famous feud with Carlos Mencia. Mencia and yeah, he stepped right up on stage, but right? But here's what happened. What happened to Carlos Mencia? Eventually, he was exposed. And why was he exposed? I would say a lot of that is due to the internet and Joe's bits that were released on the internet and shown he did these bits Mencia ripped off well before Mencia ever did them. And now Carlos Mencia is a fucking joke. And why is he a fucking joke? Because the public was shown the truth via the internet, the unbridled fucking internet, not this Article 13 fucking revision of the internet. Public opinion got a hold of it, and he was exposed as a fucking hack loser. I don't like Carlos Mencia. Sorry. I am, I'm hearing what, what What's your problem with our, with, our, with our friend? And I've run into it, too. Um you know, YouTube has uh, has a policy where um, if you use the if you use somebody else's music in your video, it'll be taken down. Um, we put together some old videos. It was just an old camcorder. They're just old. I mean, it's it, they don't really have a whole lot of value except it shows us years ago. And um, and I used you know in, in the case of this video, I used some Narrow's Barkley music in the background. And YouTube took the video down. They let me put it back up with different music and they gave me a choice of of music that was had an open license and i could use it for for the video and of course it doesn't work you know it, you can't just fucking swap a song out it didn't bless you it doesn't work and uh you can open up a dispute against it, but of course I couldn't dispute it in that case i had clearly taken somebody else's music and put it as the background for a video but I don't know. I, I guess I didn't know what else to do. I mean, as a as a content creator, and I'm not saying that it's great content, and I'm not saying that it's a, that it's purely original content. But I mean, this was just a this was just a a party where we were all hanging out. We were all at a much younger age, and I just wanted to share the footage with my friends. And years later, I want to be able to watch it because it brings me back. The music brings me back, but the music is gone. You know, all I can watch now is either a silent video or the video with some music that has nothing to do with that time period injected and like what is your intent 
your intent is not to profit off that video. It's essentially a fucking video photo album. That's right. With and some I, music that we used to listen to during the time. And I pause the music in, in a couple of scenes because people say things that are important, and then I bring the music back in. So it's not like it can even be ripped to an MP3. And I can almost kind of blame this on YouTube for monetizing it. Like, I understand it's a great little spot for... And I'm not... I guess I'm not saying, like... If we were trying to like sell this or monetize it, yeah, we shouldn't be allowed to do that. Like, right? If, if if the title of the video was "Official Gnarls Barkley Song," yeah, and then, we were profiting off that, right? Then I would be misrepresenting them. Now I realize that the video did have some of us. We were doing shots together. We were all of legal age, by the way. We were doing shots together, and and I can understand the record label may not want that type of content. So maybe they did pick out our activities as something that they don't want to re- represent their musicians or their or their record label but i still think that that's kind of that's kind of a stretch especially when when and we did have pretty much the whole version of that song but when you can take a a chunk of that song and you fall into fair use i just feel like you put something out there out to the masses you have to come you whoever attaches to that piece of work it's like you, you don't just get to say I have the tools to broadcast this to everyone, but I want to be specifically selective of who wants to listen to it and use it and represent it. Like, no, fuck you. You got the money from it. You got the cash grab. You have to take the good with the bad. But with this, it's like, oh, no, no, no. We want to just, we just want the good. We don't want the bad. That's not realistic. That's not. People get into shitty situations because of that. Like, I'll give you a shitty situation. Nothing. I just, just there, there wasn't a leading. I was just. Your mom went to college. <laughs> Where'd you get those suits? The toilet store. I hope we don't get fucking a copyright and straight. Refer- re- this is a shitty situation. I saw that. Yes. What are you showing us? That is a drunk lady with her head stuck in a truck tailpipe. She's underage. Oh gosh! Please don't show that. <laughs> so. That's not a euphemism. It's literally just it's it's yeah, just it's like a, tells, it, it, it's it, on it, a Chevy it. truck, I think. <laughs> but I was stroke. I just don't. <clears throat> it's getting crazy. Like it's getting out of hand. And I mean, like, what about all the Captain Picard photos? Right. Yeah. You got the face palms and 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 the double face palm. When one face palm um um isn't enough. What about all those photos? I mean, and. I mean, I guess you could do a back catalog of the most popular ones, but then do you rip down the rest? Or do you do you force the person that's submitting to tell you where you got the photo from before you start creating a meme? Yeah, no, I mean, according to this, like this is something that, they t- that they've touched on in several different articles I've read about it. Like it would be the death of memes because there's so many images out there on the internet. Like there'd be, it, there'd be no possible way. I mean, could you never rip roll somebody again? What's that? Could you never rickroll you somebody never again? Rickroll somebody so again. I guess the the only the only oh yes the the only real solution to this problem is like uh, the shitty cosplay dude, or like be kind be kind rewind. Who's the shitty like, cosplay dude? You never seen that? Dude? So there's there's a there's it, 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 it's kind of a bit, but there's a I, I don't remember the gentleman's name. Well, he talks like this, and he that guy. No, okay, but, he's, never mind. but his whole his whole thing is that like he does deliberately shitty versions of costumes of characters so like he'll do like free like you know like 
he like he'll use like trash and plastic bags and stuff like that. But you know, it's it's like the, the be kind rewind when they erased all the tapes and they had to remake them. So it's like the cardboard Robocop suit. You know, it's just we're not gonna be. You know, part of part of it too is gonna have like the only way that you're going to be able to circumvent these things is effectively highlight how shitty most of it is by just doing like garbage reinterpretations of it. Like you know, well, who is the who is the dude on um, uh, what the fuck is the singing show that was on Fox for the longest time? There's America's Got Talent, American Idol, American uh, Idol. When they the 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 the, the he the, the he bang dude. Oh, David Harang is it? Yeah, or, or? he bang, he bang. Mm-hmm. Dude, she bang, she bang, she bang, she bang, he she boom, she boom. But yes. You're going to have to get him to do the never gonna ne- never gonna give you up, never gonna let you down. You know, it's just like the only. The, I mean, that sounds like fun satire, right? No, you I'm, got I, a guy I'm thinking making, that it's the only. I, I'm thinking like you know, and you you can you can say how ridiculous that is, and I, I I do recognize that, but I also think that we are fundamentally at a point that it's it's, it's you can't just say though that lowering the quality of of mockery or or the reproduction of a of a piece of a piece of art solves the problem no like, but it, because but, they would still be subject to the same terms right i mean you're either in fair use or you are not well, in fair use is a united states concept that's part of the dmca i don't know what the european use the uh, european union has um in regards to fair use but everybody's concerned about this legislation which Makes me think that fair use doesn't really exist in this legislation. No, it doesn't. Well, again, so we, with everything that's going on right now, we're so in that fucking, like, bad 80s cyberpunk RPG setup at this point, you know. Um, And, you know, you say that, like, satire, it's like, I'm not entirely sure that there's anything that can be done, but barring like the collapse of world orders at this point. Well, I just I don't think that us putting trash bags. First of all, not everybody's going to be putting trash bags on themselves, and not everybody can sing a song as great as what was his name? That we bang. Was it was William Hung? Maybe I don't remember. Nobody can nobody can sing it so ridiculously as him. But I, I don't know if that actually solves the underlying problem. I mean, unless you're saying that if we are so bad then we won't have to worry about infringement. So everybody's just got to not sound like the original and not look like the original, if that, that's your point. That's, that, that's, effect, that's effectively... No, we're, our, our, our only... Our only we, we, in a very real sense, you know, and unfortunately there's a certain level of God winning, the Godwin's law being invoked here because... Um, you know, it's it's in a kind of funny because we've seen a resurgence of it now too. Like the whole, I mean, I, I don't know, if, I don't know if you're familiar with the history of burlesque theater. No, I do I not do, know. I am not. All right, so do you, do you know? Do, you, do if I say burlesque, what do you think? I think Moulin Rouge. Titties. Titties. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, but 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 but, but so, 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 no, them them titties. Um, no, but bur- burlesque um, was actually uh, a European movie. You know, like a, again, like there was a certain, you know, you have the Moulin Rouge kind of rom- romanticized era, but burlesque was actually um, the equivalent, of, like the like the, the court jester back in the day, like back in the day. Like really? it was, it was a very subversive art form, 
and it's modern incar like the one that like you know you, you see you see like Dita Von Tees with her fans and all that stuff, but really back you know because you'd have you'd have the you'd have the 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 it's like vaudeville so you'd have two parts of the you'd have like two you'd have, you have multiple parts of the performance where you would have you know your striptease and everything like that but then you'd have like your stage comedy performance and burlesque was very much the active mocking of the power structures that be like it was it was one of those art forms that was deliberately targeted by the national socialist party after they finally got him because it was the only place that people could talk shit about them in public you know quasi public and they didn't like it because you know the the, 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 the it, part of it was the, the hyperbole of the, con the the context in which these things were being discussed because it's very you know again it's very hard to take someone seriously when the titty's hanging out but except if you except if, you, if you're nursing but um <laughs> But but the other the other part of that was is that they were just so fucking savage and like just tearing these people down because the the the, the juxtaposition of having these kinds of discussion in that format just highlighted how fucking ridiculous these people you know the part the people that they were criticizing were so tell me if this is an accurate uh, depiction uh, so the movie V for Vendetta V for Vendetta where um, the talk show host kind of has the little like where V like he has multiple V's like chasing like the chancellor around or whatever and it's yes. essentially making fun. would you say that was the origination that, that that's, is that is that yes that 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 that's a that's along those lines okay I mean I find that interesting and I say that's interesting because that's an that's set in England that's kind of like I kind of felt like I know England isn't all of the EU but I kind of felt like they set the standard for that like type of yeah but the other thing is humor england's out right well that's well, i guess yeah the the brexit well, yeah well they're they're still in call. negotiations but you know but but the other thing that you have to remember is that the cons you know like although it's 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 constantly under attack over on our side of the pond um england and most of the european union nation or most of the european nations do not have the same do not have the same structured layout of freedom of speech you know it's 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 i mean like you know like again it's not you know again there's not the you know not necessarily the oppressive part of it but it's not codified in the same way as it was supposedly done in the uh the uh the united states constitution because part of part of it too is that i mean like you know europe's had gone through a lot of shit but for the most part, we're a country that was, you know, like we're we're a country that was incorporated on the idea of like we're rejecting the the the, the, suprem the, the, the supremacy of this, the the precursor states that form Europe at this point. You know, like it, it's it's not going to be it's 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 the it's the we're going to start our own moon with blackjack and hookers and matter of fact, screw the blackjack. You know, it. it I mean. We're not. We don't have necessarily different values, but our whole legal system was based kind of on the "fuck you guys." We'll we'll do it our way. I mean, that's and it's. I would say Article Thirteen is definitely an affront on freedom of speech, which I think anybody, anybody living in this country, and I think a majority of the world would agree, like freedom of speech is a is a good thing. Like that's something that should be upheld. 
I, and I think that's why it was so important that the Digital Millennium Copyright Act specifically made mention of fair use of copyright because comedians are going to make fun of stuff. They're going to use brand names. They're going to make fun of stuff. And comedy was one of them. Another one that's very important that there's an exception in the rule book for is education. You shouldn't charge every teacher that plays a Beatles song if they're doing it for music education. That's not to say there shouldn't be some licensing going on. I mean, if she's getting the sheet music for for Beatles and she's teaching um, these kids on how to play them on their instruments, then maybe there should be some royalties that go back, hopefully affordable, right? Because she's just spreading knowledge. But education, um, uh, comedy are exceptions of fair use. And also, if you use a very, very small sample, now they kind of leave it up to the courts to decide what fair use actually is. But comedy is largely untouched, right? And the memes kind of fall right into this comedy realm. As long as you can laugh at Captain Picard with some really stupid text over the top of it, then you're, you're not going to get a cease and desist letter from the, um, who is it? Is it Fox? Does Fox produce Star Trek? Uh, it's uh, actually via, well, it's Paramount. Paramount. You're not going to get the cease and desist letter from Paramount because you used a picture of Captain Picard on a um, on a chat server. So, so, so I think fair use is important. And if people are all bent out of shape about this Article 13, it must be missing that clause. Oh yeah, it's it's not. It's just not accounted for. It's like we don't care. Like fair use. It's almost as if when it was written, it's like fair use didn't even exist. Actually, so you know, it's it's funny that you bring up the Star Trek thing, and we're talking about copyright. Mm -hmm. And I was like, so are you guys familiar with um, Star Trek Discovery? No, is Discovery the first like in the no. timeline like the the like the first one? No, just that that's that's Enterprise. Okay, Discovery is the new series that CBS did for their like on their online streaming service. Okay, but um, the. The, the same thing. So, so, and I mean, have you guys seen the Star Trek, the, the new Star Trek movies, the JJ? I haven't seen one. any of them. I've, I've heard seen good the things first about two. Them. I saw parts of the third one. I wasn't a huge well, fan. But there, there's, there's, there's a lot. Like the there, you know, like again, there's a lot of controversy because you know people change shit, and you know when cheese gets moved. But mm -hmm. so this is this is a practical application of how fucking weird copyright has got to this point. So, uh, Viacom was originally the holder of the copyright for Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And it's actually split between the two of them because Paramount had done Paramount had done the film production side of things. Okay. And CBS was the owner because CBS owns Viacom. CBS was the owner of the television right of things. So all of classic Star Trek and Star Trek the Next Generation and Deep Space 9 and all that stuff basically the copyrights held by CBS. I mean like so CBS and Paramount both have rights to this Star Trek universe. Right. But they can't reference items from each other because the basically the licensing the licensing terms are different, which is why when they started making these new Star Trek movies, you know, never mind that like it's the reimagination and stuff like that, the whole they had to change like all the ship designs and everything like that because they're not allowed they would have to go back and renegotiate a separate contract with CBS to do the thing. And back to this whole thing with um, CBS, Discovery, 
Discovery is not actually made, you know, it's it's on CBS, but it's not actually made by CBS. It's in, it's Paramount's television division. So that's why they can't reference any of the old, I mean, like, you know, like, again, like there's this common, it's like, it's this whole thing where they can talk about bits of this stuff, mm-hmm. but it's just this weird, like. Yeah, they're dancing we're, around. We're, we're going to, we're, yeah, we, we, as long as we don't look past 45 degrees we won't you know like as long as we don't as long as we can talk about something that's like out of shot and it's just weird watching these narratives unfold and like they have to dance around certain topics or certain things and or as, as long as we put a sticker on it and it doesn't look exactly like the old one you know but maybe that because that that's your trash can that, that's your trash bag thing it's like because they're at the point where they're fucking eating each other now like the, the like right. the big businesses because they have to dance around this shit because they've just made it so fucking onerous and they fuck you know they spent so much time trying to fuck fuck everyone underneath them that they can't help but fuck each other now. Well, like one of the definitely like you're talking. I'm glad you kind of brought that up that these like major corporations are essentially cannibalizing each other with these with these rules. It's one of the things that's always kind of brought up when they talk when they're talking about Article 13. It's essentially the death of any type of startup, any type of media startup or anything like that. Like, there's no way that, you know, if you wanted to, and whatever, you wanted to, like, like a small, I could say, media outlet or some sort of like a small news outlet, it's impossible now. You can't afford all, you can't, you're probably not going to be afford the system that's going to guarantee that you're going to be able to, you know, mark everything and pull everything that is copyrighted. Like a, a good example is uh, even though it's not a startup, it's established. But like Wikipedia, like imagine if they had to catalog and flag everything that got uploaded to their site or everything that they're currently using, like as a reference. It's it. Wikipedia is dead. Yeah, fortunately, Wikipedia actually does do a good job of that. Um, I think that they use like like some AI or some scripts to do it. Mm-hmm. But if you make specific reference to something, you do have to cross link it. But you're right. I mean, if they, that's that's the part of Article 13. I think that people are are, are worried about as well is the whole the cross linking problem, right? Um, with them, they'll have reference to the original. Whether they have a big file that they say what license it was under and if they got permission to use it, I think that's going to get hairy for sure. Um, because there, at some point, you have to say, like, like the sky is blue, and you don't need, you don't need to, to cite somebody or something uh, in order to understand that the sky is blue. You can cite references that support the fact that the sky is blue. But it's not their original idea that the sky is blue. And knowing who came up with that original idea, who claims that they own the original idea, and then it, you know, you get two people can come up with the same concept at the same time. And it sounds like a slippery slope. It also sounds like it's putting the onus on the ISPs, which, um, it's kind of nice to the consumer, right? Because you and I don't necessarily have to worry as much. It's really going to be the people who are offering the content. But when there's some community-run organizations like Wikipedia, it might not be you and I directly that's affected, but it's definitely people like you and I. You know, because Wikipedia is really a um, volunteer-run service. Yeah. I just don't see how this policy would protect anyone but... Like I feel like some of this is derivative of, derivative of like the music 
like the record labels, right? Because they lost their asses, and they lost their asses, frankly, because they should have lost their asses. Like they they negotiated with artists, if you want to call those negotiations. The artists had zero zero say, and they were at the whim of the music company. But all of a sudden, when the internet happened, which is why the internet is such an important tool, when all that music started getting shared and it was everywhere, they couldn't charge you $17 for a CD like they used to back in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, maybe. By then, it was done. And they couldn't, they could no longer monetize that. And they haven't found a, figured a way out. Is this some sort of a kind of a backdoor kind of way to to get those companies back into its glory? Is not saying it was specifically like the the music uh, industry, but I feel like that that it, it almost kind of feels that that's kind of one of those things. That, well, you know, these guys were unprotected. These music companies were unprotected. It's not like the artists were losing out when the music got shared. Right, you know what I mean? Like they still, artists still made a lot of their money touring and merch and all that stuff. The only people that got screwed was was the fat cats, music execs. I would like, <laughs> I would like some fat cash. Yeah, so would I. But I, I mean, I, I guess it's just it's it's a it's a scary, scary place to be right now when this can even be, um, like when this can even be a potential reality, like, uh, it's kind of, I don't know. It's like, it's like we're on the brink of dystopia. Almost. No, no, we're not on the brink. We're, we're here, man. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, actually, well, I mean, that or what was it? The Disney movie for Topia or the, 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 the fucking, the one with the, the Fox and the rabbit. Ah, uh, I don't, I don't know. Predators and prey animals living together. Perfect harmony. Ebony and Ivory, but uh, but you know, uh, yeah, we we you know, like uh, I know we made comments before, but like everything that's ever like just all the buzz. I used to, like when I was a disaffected teenager. Um, I kind of got into the whole idea of like being a Decker and a console cowboy and stuff like that because we were gonna live in the post cyberpunk, you know shithole society and as I got older I thought we'd gotten past that and other than the fact that we don't have cyborgs right now um come 28 yeah like by by 2020 we will be living in that fuck we'll be living in that fucking shit Blade Runner world okay so I'm gonna ask you if there was one thing that was let's say maybe in years past you would have said like so fucked up could never be reality right would be something in a movie that like now Maybe it's looming on the horizon that might actually be a reality. So, um, I mean, other than the fact that, yeah, I mean, like, what? I say the cyborg. Jap- the Japanese are working on the cyborg thing for real, real, so Ghost in the Shell might actually go down, you know? We, uh, we got we got the fucking United States going full-on American Empire Alliance bullshit, you know, uh, you know, we decided that uh, the last, I don't know, 70-something years of alliance building and, and, and trade, you know, like, uh, we've effectively, well, you know what? We couldn't be as much of a raging asshole as we needed to be, so fuck those guys. And now it's like, we went from America, Europe, you know, some of the Asian sphere to, we're just going to be buddies with, uh, you know, 
Russia in <laughs> North Korea and uh maybe Tur- you know maybe Turkey we don't know you know, we'll, we'll, we'll we'll do it live but it, it's it's fucking crazy man I mean like did you, did you, I mean like between you know I don't want to invoke you know unfortunately a lot of that stuff starts invoking Godwin's law but it's like we're in the fuck we're in that same like we're in that same fucking lead up that like the Star Trek before the you know Star Trek and Fallout before the Great War, you know we've decided that we don't fucking need it. You know, like everybody else can fuck off, and you can say that to a certain extent. The United States has always acted like that since the end of World War Two, because you know. We, so what's cite a specific example? Um. Again, we got this whole thing where they're fucking the they're trying to bust up California to 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 make uh. To try and uh, cut the guts out of that, so that go into can... that more. Yeah, what's going on in California? So, uh, actually, just the last. So the last. So basically, California has a preemptive period where they, um, you know, they they open up stuff for public comment before they do they they get laws open to the November election because basically California California does uh, this interesting thing where effectively they they they, they have direct. They have direct elections on uh, laws themselves or motions. You know, like art. What they call them, articles. Mm-hmm. So, like they did for uh, gay marriage, that kind of the at, the at least at the state level. Mm-hmm. And what they're going to vote on this uh, November is effectively they want to break California into three separate states now. Yeah, where, so where would they double, be? Uh, so there would be Northern California, which is basically the part of it touching. Uh, what you know, like. Oregon and Washington, you know that 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 northeast cor- the the northwest corridor. Mm-hmm. There's South California, and it's really not called South California, but but you know like Southern California, mm-hmm. which is the part of the state that's touching the Baja and Arizona, Nevada region, and then there would be uh, I don't know what you call it, California, mm-hmm. which is basically the Bay the Bay Area technically because. And again, it's one it's of these funny things too, because the Bay Area is referred to as Northern California by Californians. It's it's well, you know, well, geographically, I understand why it why it, it may not well, be, but because and, and part of this too is that like it's this whole because really, what's the driving force behind this is that there is a bunch of tuck, fucking tech, you know, tech billionaires, venture capitalists, like mm-hmm. they just they want to get their you know, like they they're they're not happy with not being able to. Mm-hmm. You know, like their level of undue influence that they can already exert is not good enough for them, and it's this whole like fucking. There, there's something wrong with the the the, the majority of those guys. Like, but there's just something not wired right. We can relate a little bit with that, right? We're from um, what New York City goers would consider upstate New York, yes. although we're really closer to the center of the state, um, and. We there's a lot of people that wish New York City would become its own state. So I I feel like you know California's making complaints that we hear all the time, right? It's that there's this own little ecosystem, ecosystem, its own um, tax code. I mean, even when you file your taxes in New York State, it is crazy. I don't know how many other states do this, but it's crazy the amount of questions you have to answer no to if you don't live in New York City, 
right? Wade's nodding his head. Yeah. There's there's all these questions like, did you own an apartment in Yonkers? And I don't know why I have to answer yes or no to that. I don't know what law is specific to Yonkers where every single time I file taxes, I have to answer this question. But there's specific tax code there. The, the, the amount of money that comes in and out of this city, um, even the average salary for somebody living in the city is so drastically different from the majority of the uh, more rural parts of the state. Um, and by rural, I mean, some of the some of the cities upstate, uh, they still aren't even close to the amount of size. I mean, New York City is the largest city in our in our country, right? And in New York City, uh, maybe not geographically, but population wise, I believe that to be true. Um, so the largest city in our entire uh, nation happens to be shared with with these smaller cities or some of these rural areas. So I guess at some point I can understand why California might want to break it up. What's their reasoning for it? Is it really the mindset? Is it because this Silicon Valley section wants to push and push and push legislation where the rest of the state wants to keep things well, the way that they have been? That and they want uh, they want six senators instead of two. Oh. They want six centers? Senators. 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 Oh. And they want to break up the electoral they want to break up the electoral vote that California has right now. So they can like, you know, because mm-hmm. the, the the gist of it is is that California is a democratic voting right. electoral, you know, for the most part and basically they want to cut the guts they want to cut the guts out of well, we suffer that, that problem too, right? Because of because of the way that the cities vote in New York State, we generally lean Democratic, despite from a geographical perspective, we're mostly red when it comes to election time. So I can totally understand that, although it's we're not the only state that suffers the problem. I mean, every single state, when you look at it, there's regions that are predominantly Democratic and regions that are predominantly uh, Republican. I mean, typically... For the most part, I would say this would remain consistent. Um, urban areas are typically blue, and more rural areas are typically more conservative or red, as far as it, because of our bipartisan system that we we participate in. The California thing is really, really interesting um, because I wonder, like, if any of this, if this is so, this is essentially California itself trying to bolster its position. Through division, like addition through subtract, not subtraction, but like <laughs> right. multiplication through division, is that essentially how this is, or is this also like, no, there are regions of California that are very, very red, and they want their own representation that they feel that they cannot get because a vast majority of the the the, the cities are so densely populated that that's how the how they vote is how the state votes is how is that how it's broken down, Gunner or? Pretty much, or is it just money? Is it just like these fucking billionaires want tax breaks and they yeah? Don't... Well, you know, and again, it's like this whole like, yeah. Maybe you said it. There's been there's been some comments to the effect that it's not entirely coincidental that there's been a lot of not straight up fascism but it certainly rhymes with it rise in the united states just as all the people just as the majority of the people who fucking directly dealt with it and fought against it kind of start dying off in droves yeah norcal 
Okay. So I'm seeing this map that uh, you know, and like these 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 guys that are trying to fight to get fucking the state broke up don't appreciate the fucking history of the state that they live in because like California was California is a place that should not be like. Never mind, like, they want to split off, you know, like, all the, all the fucking venture capitalists live in California proper. Like, they don't appreciate the fact that their state, that whole region, is part of this extensive series of um, water right. Like, basically, there's a whole life support system that allows them to fucking live there that they didn't, they weren't part of negotiations. They just have fucking always... You know, like, I don't know if you've, like, the last couple of years where they've had these fucking huge drought issues in California. Yeah, absolutely. It's been, it's been the drought issues, and then they also kind of coincide with the for, with the, the forest fires and things like that. Yes, but the thing is, is that the, Calif- the, por- the portion of California that's most prodigious in their, like, economic activity is, like, Las Vegas. It's supported by this huge extent. Like, like, it's one of the reasons why you can't have fucking rainwater collection buckets in Colorado, because... Back in the day, they negotiated this whole series of fucking water rights easements that, you know, and like part of the reason that they call it California is it's it's they're kind of they're kind of trying to cheat around it, but with the the, the the dissolution of the California the state into these three new ones, all those fucking water rights covenants go up. And it's like fucking, Bre- you know, it's like it's like Brexit where like they're like, oh, we're going to be everything's going to be fine. We're going to be able to trade without we're going to be able to trade without, you know, like there's there's going to be no economic significant economic impact from leaving the European, you know, being a common currency and being a partner with the European Union. And meanwhile, it's like, no, actually, you fucking, you know, like all these companies are pulling out because the thing is, is that all of the, like all of this stuff is dependent on like these agreements that have been brokered out back during the day and if basically you say I don't I choose not to recognize one of them all of them kind of just go out the window so essentially like the rich get richer and the poor continue to get poorer well no but I mean like you know again like the the the, the, rich, the rich the rich are you know, again, I'm not saying that there's going to be any justice, but the idea is that fundamentally that, that, that you have these people who basically have been inured from any of the consequences or the work that was required to get to this point, and they don't see the value. They don't see the value, or they don't understand why things are the way they are, and they're like, "Well, fuck it, I got a better idea." And it's like, "No, you don't have a better idea. You just you you just decided that you were going to do this thing because it didn't make you particularly happy." And meanwhile, here's all these fucking consequences that unfold because of this. Because effectively, yeah, if this if this goes down, that whole river rights system basically can be torn up, and they'll have to negotiate again. And no, but none of the parties downstate, none of the parties down river from the Colorado River are happy about this covenant. And uh, like there was, like I don't know, I don't like there 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 was literally like fucking violence going on until like the fifties and sixties over trying to get this shit sorted in California, and like a lot of people died, and a lot you know like a lot of fucking like you, you talk about like mob war style kind of stuff, and they finally got this settled, and if they decide that oh by the way we just you know just because we call the state California doesn't you know it doesn't mean that it's California those fucking that 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 whole that whole series of compacts just gets dissolved 
and they can literally just turn the fucking tap. They, you know, like I mean, like you know, they'll be they'll be legal fights and everything like that. But there's a very real prospect. Of so they could. I see what you're saying. This they they just bang build a dam. Now you got to pay us if you want it. Yes, and okay, it's like all makes... this all of a sudden like all the fucking yeah. Look at look at you know it, it, it's it's just because things aren't quote unquote fair doesn't mean your attempt to correct that will get get you there like you 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 can make you know again what is it adulting is not about everybody being happy is is not necessarily about somebody being happy it's about everyone kind of reaching a point where they're like okay this is a tolerable level of unhappiness right it's survival <clears throat> so what they're the the propaganda they have it's called cal3.com is the website that advocates for these three states um the, the three bullet points that they make is on education, California ranks 44th out of 50. That's kind of shocking. That's very shocking, yes. So they're hoping that this would allow them to improve their education. Um, this is really supposed to be a way to say, Sacramento, fuck you, because they, because they don't believe Sacramento is doing a good job of distributing the wealth and putting it back into the state. Um, another another uh, figure that they have is... Um, out of states that claim they have a low tax burden for their for the people that live there, California ranks forty sixth. That I believe. And out of the cost of living for all fifty states, they are forty eighth. Was do they identify the others? Hawaii's got to be. This um, is a fucking if island. you click on more, it'll give you the it'll give you some some more uh, some more details. But that those seem to be the three motivating reasons for them to split. Now, what's interesting is that to me is a sign that they have been unsuccessful in fixing these problems through other means. The other thing that's interesting to me is is that one of the states is still going to end up getting stuck with Sacramento, right? Yeah, like that's kind of yeah. They're essentially they're just like. Yeah, instead of fixing the, the the problem entirely, they're just like, well, we'll just cut this shitty end off, and these two will be good, and then that'll just turn into the massive shithole. Right. It's it's. I'm not surprised by the taxes. You live in a blue state, you pay higher taxes. That's how it goes. Well, but the other thing is, is that also California is the eighth largest. You know, like if it, again, like the, the part part of the part of the, you know. The state, the state with Apple, right? The yeah. state that, that that has Apple, the Apple headquarters are located Ireland, right? Well, yeah, from a tax perspective, they're located outside of the United States, but the actual, the real headquarters um, is is located in in California. Apple is the most profitable corporation in the fucking universe that we're aware of right now, and the state that Apple exists in is charging the people that live there the highest taxes the 48th out of 50th or shall i say you know they'll be in the top three highest taxes in the entire nation you'd think that that growth the whole silicon valley growth would make california a much more self-sustaining nation or nation state (laughs) I sound like uh, new <laughs> that pageant. Well, it's <laughs> that, what, you that know. pageant winner. What did you? <laughs> the one from Georgia. Yeah. Maps and <laughs> well, no, and they actually the Iraq. It goes back because that that whole like secede California thing too. That part of that problem, part of why that keeps getting shot down. It goes it goes back to the whole like California is dependent on 
natural resources from other states. Yeah, that seems like a problem, but they also get a lot of sun, right? So they can grow a lot of stuff. But they need the water. They they need the the water from... Yeah, heaven forbid they find a way to desalinate that fucking huge ocean. I think Israel, a, Israel does it. Do they? Dude, it does a damn good job of it too. Yeah. My, my guess, my guess with California is it it's probably coming down to who gets the money. Mhm. Right? That's it's probably the problem like like they complain that the cost of living is high. I've seen the prices for homes in California and and I understand why they're saying that. Um I was in a little um, city outside of Sacramento, um, staying there um, for my my honeymoon with my wife, and the houses were the size of my home back here in New York, and you know we're talking like like twelve hundred square feet, thirteen hundred square feet in New York. That 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 upstate New York, I should say, rural New York. Those homes usually don't go for more than a hundred thousand dollars. If they're brand new, maybe a little bit more. But those same those same size homes in California were going for close to half a million dollars. So I understand that there's that there's this cost of living problem. But whose fault is that? Well, it's the California's part. You live in perfect weather year round. Like you're paying. You live like near Hollywood. You live near all these attractions. The closer you get to desirable locations, the more expensive it is. Yeah. And California's got some a lot of desirable locations. It it's does. a beautiful state. It does. It also California also has a lot of mixed elevations. And uh, I remember Schwarzenegger was making those um, you know California commercials. And beautiful one, California. Yeah. California. And, and something he showed which I thought was very interesting is that you can you know you can go to you know a, a beach and the same day you can go uh, skiing. You know, like in the snow, and it's because some of the uh, the higher elevations have snow, where some of the lower elevations are scorchingly hot, and that that's a really desirable state to be in. So I agree with that, but that's mostly driven by the emotion of the people buying homes, as well as the uh, the banks valuing these homes at the costs that the other ones are selling. So I I feel like who's really making out well in that situation are the companies that are building these homes. And the companies that are lending money for these homes. You know, if the home only costs $150,000 to build and they're selling it for half of a million dollars, the money is either going to the contractor or the money's going to the bank. It's not going back in the pockets of the people that are living there. Um, so if, if the economy is not rewarding people that live there, then they're going to be spending more and more. And uh, and their taxes are going to be through the roof because their properties are valued high. The properties themselves are going to be high, which is going to put their mortgages high. So they're going to claim the taxes and the cost of living are high. They really go hand in hand, right? If you have an expensive house, you're going to pay expensive fucking taxes on it. What I don't understand is, I guess, what the disconnect for me, and if maybe one of you can illuminate it, if the tax is so high, why is the education so bad? Right. and, and That I don't understand. That I don't understand either. I don't understand that either. I mean, the taxes are high here in New York, but our education is very good. Yeah, our education is really good. New York's education is, is common great. core. Common common core shenanigans aside. Well, even Common Core. I mean, Common Core kind of raised the bar for the rest of the United States, but New York State's Regents uh, program that they've had for ages, um, it teaches them to to a similar level. Common Core just makes it strange where you can't answer a question um, straightforward anymore. You have to kind of reverse engineer the question and answer it in a certain way, um, or else you're going to get points deducted or get the get the answer wrong. But that's that's more of a 
Common Core would be an interesting conversation for us to have. I don't know a whole lot about it. I do have um, one child in the Common Core system right now and another one that'll be entering uh, the Common Core next year. And then the third won't be there for a few years. So I, I do get to see the homework assignments. Um, I can tell you, I don't ever remember getting this much homework in kindergarten, first and second grade. I, I, I don't really remember getting much homework until like fifth grade, I feel. Like that's when like fourth or fifth grade is when the homework started to come in. But. Yeah, my son was out of class for, for a week um, while we went on vacation. And he had, he had I want to say, at least one worksheet per day of homework that he had to do. What's interesting about how his teacher does it, and he's, he's almost finished with this grade, is his teacher does the homework in class. So it, it's really strange it, it, the way she does it. I don't know if that's the way it's supposed to be done or not, but we don't even know what he's working on half the time. Huh. We get the graded papers, but we don't really know until after the grade comes in what we need to help out with. And by then it's almost a little late, you know, because we didn't do the homework. Well, there's no with. like, uh, there, it's like they're not pushing for independent, like learning to like work independently without like someone over your shoulder. Right. Which is not shocking. That's like how... And it might be the style of this teacher. It might just be. It might just be the style of this teacher. But um, yeah, I've seen. I've seen some of the Common Core. Um, one thing I do like about it is they focus a lot on vocabulary. I don't remember taking. I don't remember so much homework on vocabulary um, in, in his grade. And they have a list of words that you should you should know, and then they have a list of the words that are the exceptions to the rules. And I remember learning those. I just don't remember learning them in such an early grade. And I don't remember doing so much homework on them, so that's good, you know. But uh, yeah, I guess time will tell on Common Core, but that would probably be a good topic. It almost would be beneficial for us to bring a teacher. Yeah, in I was gonna say we should bring a teacher in that taught pre Common Core and then you know after Common Core. You thinking uh, maybe Miss um, Miss uh, Colvin, Courtney? Yeah, maybe um, maybe she'd be a good candidate. Um, I also know. Uh, uh, Amy Dunn is a good candidate as well. She's been friends. She's been friends with us for a long time, and she's been a teacher for I think ten years. So she would have definitely seen the before and after. Uh, the Courtney Calvin that you mentioned would be even more interesting because she's taught in New York City. So she's taught on a di uh, in a completely different type of school system, and then she came upstate, and now she teaches upstate. So uh, Courtney would have an interesting perspective because she's seen the different types of um, different success rates with the students, different size. Well, thank you for joining us again, folks. I think it would be a good time to wrap this bad boy up. Uh, we appreciate you listening, and uh, we'll see you soon. Sneak the ride. Sneak the ride. Sneak the ride.